Good evening. Today is June 13th, and we're studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's uh, chapter is the spiritual appendix, um, or, and our speaker tonight is Aaliyah. Thank you, Aaliyah. Good evening. My name's Aaliyah S., recovered compulsive overeater in California. So grateful to be here with you all tonight. Uh, my abstinent date is October 5th. 2021, and I'm sustaining an 85 pound weight loss thanks to a loving higher power, the 12 steps sponsorship, and all sides of that triangle that um, really hold it all together for me. And tonight, we're, I w- yesterday I was asked to share on spiritual experience, and so I haven't had much time to think about it, but I have prayed about it and I'm excited to be sharing on this appendix because it really is one of my favorite readings. And it's referenced twice. The first time they tell us to see appendix um, two is in there is a solution on page 27. And the second time is in we agnostics on page 47. And I love that on page 47, it says, um, Please be sure to read Appendix 2 on spiritual experience. And so, you know, we're talking about, and we agnostics, the the cornerstone. Are you now um, willing to believe in a power greater than yourself? And I just really want to talk about my experience with Step 2 and the difference between this sudden uh, spiritual experience versus the slow awakening. And when I was 16, I was a drug addict and I um, was on meth and I was a broken young girl. And I didn't know about compulsive overeating then. I thought my problem was just drugs and alcohol. And I went to this youth group and it was the only place that my parents let me go. I was grounded all the time. I was a troubled youth. I had a vital spiritual experience in that church when I was about 16, 17. I, I was transformed overnight. I had said a prayer. I said, God, if you're real, prove it. Show me what it's like to be loved by you. And at this like altar call, this associate pastor came up to me and I never told anyone I had prayed. I just, I just prayed a heartfelt prayer to to whatever was out there, like, just prove it. And this pastor came up to me at during this prayer circle. And he said, Ali, I have a message for you. God wants you to know that he loves you. And this is what it feels to be loved by him. And he hugged me and I collapsed in his arms. And I was a changed girl overnight. I woke up the next day, free from drugs and alcohol, from smoking cigarettes, listening to secular music. But it wasn't sufficient to bring about a personality change because I didn't have a program. But I always knew and believed in that power ever since then. And so when I got into AA for the last time and got sober in January of 2014, I was actually on step three and I was told to read pages 60 to 63 in the first person every day for a week. And During that time, my kids were two, four, and five, and my husband died in a sudden accident. And on my six-month sobriety birthday, I was to tell my kids that their daddy was never coming home. 
And I spent the next eight, seven and a half years sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, but just feeding my grief, um, anything to not feel. I'd rather feel stuffed than to feel the pain of what it's like for my kids to be raised without their father and the pain of being a single mom trying to find it in this world you know, with no education, with, with no money, with no retirement, like just trying to figure it out in my thirties with these three young babies. And so I ate and I ate and I ate and, um, early in my sobriety, someone had introduced me to OA and it was down the hall from my AA meeting and I would go and I got a sponsor and someone told me about this phone meeting. I started listening to this phone meeting and I heard real recovery there. And I put my name on the phone list years ago. And one summer day in 2019, someone called me off that list. And I said, Oh girl, you don't want to talk to me. I just got done binging a whole, whole thing of Oreos. And I don't know that woman. I don't remember her name, but she somehow I was able to like put down sugar, call and get a sponsor and start working the steps. I got a plan from a nutritionist and I started my journey in um, basically what I call OA big book recovery. And, you know, then the, the pandemic happened, I was in relapse and zoom came alive. Um, I remember when this meeting was formed and just all this recovery was here and I couldn't seem to get it. I, I had over, I had asked over 30 women in my time in this program alone for help, you know, and they would say, get a day or two, call me back or start on this. And I, and I just couldn't, you know, like, how can I surrender my whole life? Like, how can I trust this power that I don't trust, you know, this power that saw it fit for my kids to lose their dad at two, four and five and to leave me a widow. They said, abandon yourself utterly. Like I can't abandon myself to this, to this power. You know, I prayed every day on my knees, begging God for the willingness to be abstinent and I wouldn't be abstinent. So, you know, how could I truly trust and rely on this power? Like to know what it's like to like feel the pain and the grief and the sorrow. I knew that at three o'clock every afternoon that when I would go to the store, I knew what kind of relief that would bring me. I knew that it would anesthetize me. I knew that it would bring me instant ease and comfort. And I knew that it would make me so numb that I wouldn't have to feel the pain of my actual life. I knew that pain and I was comfortable with it. And I was terrified of giving that up and surrendering to this power but the food did really beat me into a state of reasonableness during, during a year relapse. Um, you know, I'd got 45 days one time was on a four step and I went and ate and I ate and I ate for an entire year. I gained 50 pounds. I was miserable. I was in more meetings than I wasn't. My camera was off. I was binging and I was so desperate. Um, and they told, they all told me that the food would do the convincing. I didn't believe them. I didn't think it could get any worse, but my home life started to get so worse. And my son started to get suspended and to get in trouble. And the cops were being called and he's coming of age and he needs his dad. I don't have his dad here. And I'm all alone and I don't know what he needs. And so I just ate and I ate. And I remember one Friday when he was suspended, I went to Costco and I had bought all these snacks and I filled up the kitchen with snacks 
And by Monday, they were all gone. And like, I knew I had to go to the store to like feed my kids. And I was terrified. I gained 10 pounds that weekend. Um, and I just saw recovery here. And I just, I finally, finally surrendered and said, if I don't take my head out of the sand, my son is going to get worse and I'm not going to know how to help him. And that Monday night, I called someone, I asked them for the help. They asked if I could surrender my food for the next day. Um, I surrendered my food for the next day. And then I came up with this mantra that if I was in a food rehab, would I be doing X, Y, and Z? No. You know, so I stopped going to the gym. I stopped fishing. I stopped going out. I stopped, I just, I essentially created a food rehab and said, I'm going to give this thing everything I've got one more time. And if that's it, like, that's it. Like, but I'm going to give it my all. And so I came in and I did everything that was suggested. And so when we got to step two, I knew that this time, because I'd worked step two dozens of times before, that this had to be a different experience. It just had to. Um, and so I remember writing all the um, grievances I had against God and everything that I believed about God, you know, my lip service of infinite power, infinite love, infinitely cares about me. And I went into meditation one morning with after having done my step two assignment, and I heard this voice said, God, um, Aliyah, if you truly believe those things about me, then why, why when three o'clock in the afternoon comes, can't you fully just jump into my arms? Like, why can't you fully surrender? And I went into this meditation. I had a vital step two experience this time. And during my last two and a half years, I'd been in therapy and trauma therapy and grief therapy. And I'd created this safe place in this meditation. Everything that I've ever loved and valued was there. My grandmother's tree, um, agates, the crystal clear water, the waterfall, the redwood trees, all my favorite flowers, my dream home. And I would hike up onto this like place on top of this waterfall and I'd overlook these granite peaks and everything that I ever loved and valued and that would give me a sense of awe was in this safe place. And I went to the safe place and the bald eagle has always represented something more powerful than me. And it like picked me up and I started flying. I felt free in the safe place. And I was like happy, I was joyous and I was free. And this was all during my morning meditation because I did develop a practice of 30 minutes every morning, no matter what. And I started, something started to come in my field of vision and I got scared. And in that moment, I saw my safe place be wrapped in this force field of a bubble. And I saw the bubble being placed in these giant, like dirty brown hands. And it took my safe place and it wrapped it in safety and it handed it to me. And it handed it to me and it placed it deep down inside my heart. And I just laid there and I cracked open and I cried. And I cried and I cried and I cried for about five minutes. And I realized that everything that I've ever loved and valued and wanted in this life and didn't get and all the sorrow and all the pain my higher power loves and cares about and is going to protect because it's inside of me I no longer had to like go out and look for it in a man to fulfill us you know in in the brownie for ease and comfort I never I no longer had to go out and look for it in a sponsor for a career God placed it deep down within me and it was safe and protected. And from that moment forward, I think I had about 10 days abstinent. I've never once thought to eat off my plan. 
I've never once had the idea to use food for ease and comfort, like the problem had been removed. And so it wasn't like it talks about in the spiritual experience. Um, you know, it talks about uh, in the book, like in the beginning, that they've had these vital spiritual experiences where whole ideas, emotions, outlooks, you know, were pushed to one side and a whole new concept for me, it was this um, educational variety that it talks about. And it, it says that what often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than myself. And I realized that this resource is within. And my job was to get quiet. My job was to get quiet and to listen. And it was like this dimmer switch that slowly with each step, it would get a little bit brighter, you know, and, and I would become awakened to the present moment a little bit more each time I would practice this, this awareness of this power and this presence within when I would, when I would stop long enough to pause before the action and pray and, and really invite God in to like be my center, to direct my thinking, I would have like an intuitive thought, you know? And so what happened during this time, my son started to get worse and worse and worse. He ended up getting expelled from school. We had multiple cops at our, at our house. We got asked um, an eviction notice on my door because of his behavior. He was spiraling. He'd run away. He was 12 years old. He was vaping. He was smoking. He would have violent outbursts. He would break the doors. The neighbors would call the cops. The neighbors stopped looking at me. CPS was at my house multiple times. And I felt like I was at a breaking point and I was, and I was abstinent. And the thought to eat never crossed my mind. And so I was able, I got abstinent right at the right time, you know, to get clear, to get clear and connected because throughout the process of the steps and this inner resource being aware of it, it would, it would tell me things like it, it would show me things. It would connect me to people on the phone that would tell me about this, this group. And it just started like, it was magic, you know, it just started happening. And <clears throat> Through the course of my first year of abstinence, it was the hardest year of my life, harder than telling my kids that their dad died. It was isolating. I, I felt shame. I felt like I couldn't tell anyone what was happening because of fear of, um, I felt responsible for my son's mental health, you know, for his, for his struggles. Um, and so God and I got really tight, you know, like I, I really had nowhere else to turn, but, but to God and five minutes, five minutes left. Okay. Thank you. Um, I was able to advocate for my son. I, I never gave up. I just, I continued. I lost a lot of friends. I lost most of my support group. Um, and what happened was through a course of really unfortunate events, um, but turned out to be the best thing. And I look back now at my life a year ago, I read a journal entry and I, and it was like, 
I never thought, you know, how dark it is before the dawn. Like I really didn't, I didn't know what was around the corner, but I just kept tapping in, you know, I just kept in the morning, like getting quiet with that higher power and just truly realizing that like with step six and seven, you know, like my resume as an untreated addict is I'm self-righteous. I'm judgmental. I'm arrogant. I'm selfish. I'm self-centered. And no one's going to accept that resume except God, you know, this power, whatever it is, loves me infinitely, infinitely cares about me and wants the best for me. And I believe I get to be tapped into this divine wisdom. And it's the things inside of me that block me from this God consciousness. It says most of the the, the awareness of a power greater than ourself is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. An essence is the intrinsic nature or indescribable quality of something, especially something abstract that determines its character. And so like what was determining my character, you know, people would say like, Leah, you're so strong. Like, I mean, I don't know how many people have said that I am not strong. Trust that. Like it is this power that is working in and through me. My son um, ended up through his IEP getting placed in a therapeutic uh, boarding school, a treatment facility in Lake Ozark, Missouri. The school district is paying for it. It's a $20,000 a month school. He's getting neurofeedback twice a week. It's an animal assisted therapy. He has a golden retriever that lives with him at all times. He has weekly therapy. We have family therapy. They have occupational therapy and adventure therapy. And he's getting a seventh grade education. And I would have never, I've been away from him now for five and a half months. I miss him dearly but I couldn't have made that happen. Like I couldn't, it says when we, when we look back, we realize the things which came to us when we placed ourselves in God's hands. And remember I had that vision of my whole world placed in God's hands. Well, then God placed it deep down inside of me. So it's like one and the same and I, I need to get aligned. And so what the steps did, you know, what step 10 does is help me to stay in alignment with the vision of God's will for my life. And so my resume as an untreated addict, I try to strive for the opposite of what I think this, this God conscious, like what would God have me be and do and say in this moment, you know, how can I act more like with these God qualities and, you know, see people as more like God sees them, that we're all equal under God's eyes. You know, this, this spirit of equanimity, no better, no worse. This person is suffering just like me. You know, this person is, is hurting. Like, how can I be helpful to him? And, and you know, the, the steps is really like, like I said, it was like that dimmer switch. It just kept slowly with each step coming, you know, lighter and brighter. And I get to step 12 and I get to share my story and I get to be of service and I get to walk with someone, you know, through that arch of freedom that we're building through these, you know, the keystone, the third step, you One know, minute. The, minute, the, you know, the cornerstone really is that am, am I willing to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity, wholeness and peace of mind. And yes, I'm willing, you know, I'm willing and I'm so grateful that it did for me what I can never do for myself. And um, I think with that, I'll close. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, we will now open the meeting for questions or for three-minute shares. As this is a big book study, sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and the step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. 
if you'd like to share um, or ask a question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the phone. And the Zoom host will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute uh, when it's your turn. Uh, would the time our, keep... I'm sorry, our shares are shares and answers for three minutes. That's correct. Thank, okay, thank you, you so much. So um, Arlene is going to keep our time for our shares. Um, and then um, if the speakers ask a question, we'll allow three minutes for the answer. Um, all righty. And with that, um, I see uh, Chanel. Hi, thank you so much. I hope I pronounced your name right. Is it Alea? Is that right? Aliyah. Aliyah. I'm sorry. I thought you said, <laughs> okay, Aliyah. That was uh, incredible. Um, the rawness. I just, I love it when someone gets raw like you did. And I want to thank you for that. I'm so sorry for your loss. Your losses are multiple. Um, losing the life you thought you'd have with your son also. And uh, just, powerful, really powerful testimony. And what I wanted to ask you, you had said, and I have that too. I had the spiritual experience that was instant for before I was ever in program and continued to eat anyway. <laughs> and then in program, it's been the educational variety for me. It's been much slower. And I, when I have sponsees who really have trouble, which so many do, grasping the idea that there is a power greater than themselves that they can trust because they've been screwed over so many times, either by the religious community or whatever has happened to them. I'm wondering when you have sponsees, what you say to them, where you take them in the book, maybe podcasts. I, I don't know. I guess we could talk about podcasts off the meeting, but where you lead them for uh, direction on that. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, I remember my first sponsor after my husband died would, would tell me, Aaliyah, you have to look for what is going good in your life. Like in the book says, when resentful thoughts come, we pause and count our blessings. And I've had sponsors lead me to page 417 to 420. And I have, you know, it written here, um, you know, when I find something unacceptable to me, you know, that for me is a widow, uh, a single parent of three kids, you know, I can find no peace or serenity until I can accept that situation, place or thing is exactly as it is. So I go to that page a lot. And then it, and then it talks about, you know, we never just stand by and do nothing, you know, and I, and I have written next to that, I do the dishes. So it's like, pray and continue to row to shore, like act as if like, I, I must focus. I have an obsessive mind. My disease is either going to focus on negativity and lead me back to the food, or I get to focus on what is going good in my life. What are the miracles that have happened? How can I see that, you know, um, my a, a group came together one year and surprised me for Christmas and sent check after check after check in the mail when I didn't have any money to buy my kids Christmas presents. When people, you know, have done these random acts of kindness, I can't forget those things. And I must be 
you know, ever vigilant to like count my blessings and look at the gratitude. And for me, like, if I had a sponsee or someone that was really struggling, like, I would ask them to focus on the gratitude as the essence or as the nature of their higher power. And the more, you know, what I focus on grows. And so I go to gratitude and acceptance a lot, pause and count my blessings and page 417 to 420. And there was a really great podcast on a vision for you where I kind of asked the woman the same question and she gave a really good reply. And I can share that offline as well. Time. Hi, I'm taking my turn. Um, man, thank you so much. Uh, my heart just was like feeling all of your words and all of your experiences. And um, what I heard um, was so much, I, I heard so many vital spiritual ex experiences as you were sharing. And I just, I heard so much surrender. Um, and I just wanna thank you. Thank you for sharing the hope of the surrender and the hope of um, the moments when you became conscious of being cared for and protected. Um, uh, being in the food, being in despair, being in the pain of the disease. And um, in those moments when I heard people share what you just shared, it like it's a light it's a light. And so thank you for sharing. And, and that light, that light, when we share it, um, is something that I followed that saved me from this disease. So thank you so, so much for your share. And thanks for just sharing what the vital spiritual experience has been like for you. Um, yeah, I was just really touched. All right. And now we've got Amy B. Unmute. Unmute. Hi, everybody. Amy B, compulsive overeater, living very gratefully um, in a recovered state from the food today. Um, thank you so much to Sherry and Heidi for uh, doing service at the meeting tonight. Thank you, everybody. Um, oh, thank you, Arlene, for timing and everybody else for being here, the service of being here. And Aaliyah, thank you so much for your service on this chapter. Um, uh, thank you so much for your presence in this program. Um, I feel grateful uh, to 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 witness your your spirituality and how God shows up through you because um, God does show up through you. Um, one of the things that you said, which goes straight to my heart, is the part about knowing what it's going to feel like when I binge or like when I cause pain, like at least it's familiar. Um, and that sort of, you know, crazy addicts thinking uh, that, that leads us to seek comfort. I'll speak for myself that has led me to seek comfort just in the fact that I'll, that I can know what's going to happen in a world where I don't know what's going to happen. That gives me this modicum of control, or so I think, and I confuse familiarity with comfort. I think because it's familiar, it's comfortable. It's not the same. I was looking at spiritual experience. I have it I'm digital now. Um, 
And I really, I just love this appendix. It's been so uh, just special to me for a number of reasons. And there are a couple of things that jump out and it keeps becoming new. And I was looking at the line where, um, you know, uh, it says finally realizes that they have un undergone a profound alteration in their reaction to life. The word alteration. I was just thinking about the fact that when you alter something, you make it right sized. You make it the right size. It's not a new thing. It's not like the thing was broken or default or like defective or like bad or like whatever. It just needs alteration. Just needs to be made the right size. All, all of it, everything, the reactions to life and alteration. It's not thrown out. It's not replaced. It's not... It just needs to be altered. Um, and then the other thing, like, oh God, you're, the beautiful imagery of the hands deep down inside you, which echoes the line at the bottom of, of the page. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, unsuspected inner resource, which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. The thing that I didn't know what that was there that was inside me all along. Time. I can now identify as something spiritually beautiful. Thank you so much for reminding me of that tonight, Aaliyah. Pass. Anyone else like to share? Melissa G. Hello, so nice to hear from you. It was quite the treat. Um, I just want to change my view there. Okay, um, where are you, Aaliyah? So there was so much goodness and I wish I had my pen and paper and I didn't. And what's funny is I wasn't supposed to be here tonight. We went downtown, we had tickets to see something. And when we got there, the doors were closed and the lights were off. <laughs> so. We drove back home and I was like, oh my gosh, I can catch a CYOC meeting. And so I felt like I was supposed to be here to hear this. And it was fabulous. So um, I'm not sure exactly what my question is, but it has to do with when your son continually kept getting into trouble and you said you were losing friends and, you know, all this stuff, but you never went to food. So what were you doing? How, how were you? um using your program to help you through that and kind of continuingly I don't really know if that's making sense but talk more about that process thanks that's a good question thanks Melissa I I went back through the book with a different sponsor um I made some more amends I literally would lay on the ground and and cry <laughs> and beg God uh, for help. I mean, I really questioned if I was recovered or not because my behavior um, was not cute. And I had to do a it felt hard to do the same 10 step over and over and over again. Like I was living with an abusive 
person that I had to take care of. And so it, it was very challenging, but I used my God squad and my sponsor and really would call and be honest with just a couple of people. Like uh, there were maybe two or three people that knew everything that was going on in my life at that time. And I, I remain just brutally honest about uh, how I was feeling. And that was too the kind of relationship that my higher power could handle. Like there were times where I hated my son you know, I, I, I really did, you know, and I, and I raged and I did things that, um, I felt like weren't recovered and I would be honest about it. I would be honest and I would own up to it. And that I think my higher power saw my humility and that honesty and met me there with the power, despite my bad behavior, you know, um, the end of the book talks about willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. I had a sponsor said, it's not how it works, it's who it works, you know, W-H-O. And, and I think that's what I was really just doing. I, I mean, I just went back to basics, went through the book again, made amends, and was brutally honest. And, and that was humbling for me. You know, I'm, I'm embarrassed um, for my behavior but I have a program that helps me make amends for that. So I did it imperfectly for sure. Hi. All right, next we have Arlene. Hi, uh, Arlene from Pulse Reader. I don't come to this meeting all the time, but I have it listed. So I wanted to come tonight. Um, thank you very much for your share. Um, yeah, it was really great to hear, and thank you all for being here. Um, I'm not feeling great tonight. I, um, uh, I, uh, I had knee surgery on May 17th, but then I had to go to the hospital Sunday for an unpleasant procedure due to the pain meds, and, um, since then, I just have not been feeling great, and nobody seems to understand why. And I think maybe it was just a shock to my body. But, you know, I came on the meeting tonight, and uh, I was kind of all over the place. You know, I wanted to be scattered here and be scattered there. And then when there was the timer, I thought, wow, that's going to really take my time. You know, I got a phone call, and I said, I'll have to call you back. And then I got, uh, you know, a friend called, and I texted her and said, I'll have to call you back at six. And my granddaughter called and I said, I'll have to call you after the meeting. So I'm going through a feeling of feeling down. Um, you know, I don't have any biological kids. I have two stepkids that I met when they were nine and 11 and we're very close. My husband died last year in April. And, um, you know, uh, my husband didn't want kids. And I, I said, you know, I ended up going along with that choice, even though I had perhaps other feelings about it. But I'm very close with my stepkids. I have an amazing relationship, especially with my stepdaughter, and I call them my kids. But you know, it's like whether they were my kids or not, I, I think sometimes I feel a loss and it's really missing my husband. And I want somebody, you know, to plug it in for me. I want somebody to fill it for me. And all of my life, 
I tried filling my mother's loss and I hated it. It was hell. And so no matter how related we are, it's not their job to fill my loss. But um, most of the time I'm really good, but I think because I'm not feeling well and I am absent, thank God. I don't know, I don't have much of an appetite right now, but uh, which I need to nourish my body. But um, I've had a lot of relapse on this program and thank God I'm abstinent now and I'm at this meeting. And um, that I was just, you know, able to share. Sometimes it's easier to share when it's really an anonymous meeting, you know, and there are not a lot of people that I know. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to, I'm grateful for all the references to God and higher power, and that's my time. So thank you very much. And I pass. Thanks, Arlene. All right. So I believe we're now going to stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares.